You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Good morning, everybody. Um, very, oh, thanks, Nikki. You can tell who's a teacher in the room when they answer back. And uh, that was a seamless link to today's topic, work. See what I did there. I'm very thankful for Steve. I didn't know that we were actually going to be... Um, that we're going to be interviewing Steve, because he just gave a great perspective, talking about the Levites, talking about the work involved in building the church and the work involved in, giving, in allowing people to worship God. But before we get onto that, this is just a little picture for the background for those visual learners. I'm sorry I haven't got a very in-depth PowerPoint this week. Um, <laughs> I'm getting some heckles about the picture. First of all, some of you this week may have seen on the BBC there was an article that highlighted the happiest jobs. Um, did anyone see that this week? Yes, a few people. So, maybe for those who didn't see, what do you think is the happiest profession in the UK? A clown? Oh, what a great response. A clown? No. Ice cream seller? The No. Taking into account lifestyle and working hours and income and job satisfaction, the happiest is the clergy. It's those that work for the church. Closely behind the chief executives with big pay packets, um, <laughs> agricultural, horticultural proprietors, um, and quality assurance as well. Um, in the lowest, um, what do you reckon is the lowest or least happy uh, um, sector of work in the UK? Teachers. Was that a teacher who said it, or was it a sympathy vote? Okay. No, it's not traffic wardens, it's not teachers, it's publicans. People who are behind the bar, pulling the pints, the unhappiest job in the UK. Any publicans here? No. Oh, wow. oh dear. Um, also down there is debt, debt and rent collectors, industrial cleaners, floorers, wall tilers. Job satisfaction is something that kind of the, the place where we're all aiming. Job satisfaction is that kind of a place that we all want to get to. And it might not always be about income, but it might be about challenge. It might be about working hours. It might be about work-life balance. And work is the focus of today's talk. And it's something that everyone does. You might not be in work at the moment, but you've probably been in work before. You're hoping to get into work in the future. You might be retired, but that might be after a very long time of work. Um, In fact, work is something that everyone does to different degrees. We will have a different relationship with it. Um, And today I'm going to look at how increasingly people's identities are shaped by their work, by their career, by their work choices. But first of all, I'm going to jump straight into the Bible and have a look at what the Bible says about work. The first thing is God created work. Work was there in the Garden of Eden before the fall. In fact, God gave Adam and Eve um, you know, permission and, and a commission to look after all the fields, the fishes, all the animals. In fact, work was right there in God's first plan for humans. But work changed quite a bit after the fall. And it says in Genesis that um, God says to Adam, by the sweat, um, you know, by, through your sweat you will make bread. Basically, work became really hard. So work became, um, you got your back aching and it was, became stressful and work became really hard. And then when we look through the Old Testament, we see various accounts of, of work um, and people working. One of my um, favorite um, um, moments in the Old Testament is a guy called Basilel. And uh, he's a guy in Exodus 31 and it says this. Um, you might not have heard of him, he only gets a very brief mention. I did read this, in fact, a couple of weeks ago. So it says, the Lord said to Moses, see, I have called by name Basilel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, 
and in carving wood to work in every craft. So right here, we've got a man who was appointed by God. He was a craftsman, and, his, and in fact, his skill wasn't just learned. His skill was given by God. In fact, God wants to give people skills to do your job as well. And this guy's work, as like our own, in fact, can glorify God. So what he was doing, he was building the Ark of the Covenant. He was building the Tent of Meeting, um, the very thing that, in fact, Steve was referencing, that the Levites would put up and take down. His job was to build this place, this sanctuary, where God could dwell with his people. And so, in fact, work can bring people into a relationship with God as well. Then, when we leap forward about a thousand years, we come to the man who history is centered around, and our salvation is won through. He's a carpenter. Can we get up the next picture? Um, he is a man from Nazareth who has learned his craft at his father's side, as we read in Matthew 13. Now, uh, I love this picture. Anyone seen it before? No, not many? Okay, so this is called The Shadow of Death, and it's by William Holman Hunt. And uh, what you can see here is this is Jesus, okay? This is Jesus in the prime of his life, and uh, that in itself can be a bit of a challenge uh, to some on the portly side. And uh, there he is in his uh, very much... uh, I wasn't talking about me. Oh, no. (laughs) There he is um, in, in a very athletic physique, and he is working hard. Jesus was a carpenter. Look on the floor here. You've got all these wood shavings where he's been sweating and working hard. He's got a freshly sawn plank of wood. Jesus was a worker, but what we see here is this moment when he just stretches. It's quite nice when you're doing manual labor and stretch. And he just stretches, and he just does this, and his hands rest on the two um, wooden um, panels at the back, and it creates this, this image of the crucifix. It creates this shadow of death, as, it's, as the painting is called, and Mary is sitting there and catches it. And what I love about this picture is the fact that I'm reminded that Jesus, our Savior, who went to the cross, in fact, he worked hard. Jesus, whose ministry didn't start until he was 30, he was someone who worked hard. He was someone who understood what it was to put in the hours, to to learn a trade, to learn some skills, and to apply that as well. That, in fact, he didn't consider himself the kind of above it all. Now, he, of anyone, could have said, I'm the son of God, why am I making cabinets? But he didn't choose to say that. He didn't sin in frustration against God. So we can leave that picture up for a moment, but carrying on through the New Testament and a very quite rapid introduction to work, Who does Jesus gather to himself? He gathers to himself not the oligarchs and academics and the billionaires, but he gathers to himself just workers. Many of the disciples are fishermen, Um, not a skill that's going to kind of turn a lot of heads in a room, but it's it's a skill. uh, Matthew was a tax collector, Simon was a zealot. In fact, he gathered to himself people from all different backgrounds. There was no kind of job description with those that he wanted to associate himself with. He was, he was an every man's man. That's who he wanted to spend time with. Then later on in the New Testament still, um, we come to Paul. Now, Paul wrote much of the New Testament. Um, and in Colossians, he says this. He says, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with the sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord. And just to reread that in the message, because I think it puts it really well, just parts of it, and don't just do the minimum that will get you by, do your best. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. I think that puts it quite plainly, quite simply. So these are quite clear instructions on how we should approach work. First of all, we should aim to do our best. 
First of all, we should actually aim to do our very best at work. And second of all, it's the fact that we should work as if it's to God. Our work is worship to God. People might be familiar with this kind of terminology, the sacred and secular divide. That In fact, it's easy to separate your, your worship and your holy life to a Sunday, and then a Monday is just a different thing. In fact, God doesn't call that. God wants our whole lives. God wants everything we've got. And so from this rather kind of whistle-stop introduction to work, I just want to pull out the following. Work is from God. It's not as a result of sin entering the world. Work is from God. There are many examples. I've just given one of work being commissioned and people being given the skill to work in the Old Testament. So another one that I loved was Nehemiah, a man who was, who was given the skill and the purpose, and that was a bit more people management than it was more. That was maybe your soft skills over your hard skills of your carpenter to your people management. And he was given the skills by God to rebuild the walls um, in uh, Jerusalem. Um, yeah, Jerusalem, yeah. Um, and there's... And also, Jesus worked, and he worked for many years. In fact, Jesus worked for many years learning a trade, learning a skill. He gathered himself people from all backgrounds and occupations. So don't discount yourself on your occupation or, or your lack of it as well if you're out of work. And we are called to work hard. Not to be people pleasers, to try to get away with doing the minimum, but to do our very best as worship to God. So I want to give a definition. What is work? Because I think all of us could describe it quite differently, quite loosely. It's quite a broad term. What do we mean by it? Is it something that you get paid for? Is work simply something where at the end of the month or end of the week you get paid for? Is it when you achieve a set of outcomes? Is that what makes work? I think we all know that it takes many guises. It's quite broad. So on Friday, I took the day off my paid work to prepare this talk. But when I saw my housemate, I said to him, even for my own mental mind, I'm still working. Um, I'm working for the church today. Not in a pious way, but just I'm working. Work doesn't have to be paid. In fact, um, so my, my job, day job, I had to slip it in somewhere, is working for Tear Fund, um, who I love, and that's all I'm going to say. Um, that's who I get paid f- to work for. But in fact, part of my job, I'm saying one thing more, um, is that I convince about 400 people each year to come and volunteer with Tear Fund. And, so work, and they are working when they come and volunteer with me at an event. They're working quite hard. So work can be paid for, or it might be voluntary. It might be at home, or it might be self-employed as well. And when I look around here, I can see quite a lot of different kind of work. We've got um, web developers, we've got accountants, we've got um, estate agents, or just one, I don't know, there might be another one. Um, I'm a charity worker, waitresses, teachers, quite a few teachers, in fact. And that's just a few that I'm looking around as well. You know, there's different people from all sorts in the room here. And I'm going to be focusing on work as that vocation. So work as a, as, as a, as a career, as, a, as a, you know, something you do most of your time. And it could be you work for a company, it could be you're self-employed. I was, I was reading quite a lot about work this week, and I was, I was quite surprised to see in the US, one study says there's 17.7 million uh, free, freelance workers. And that there's one study that says by the year 2020, 40% of people in the US will be freelancers or independent workers. Because the very way in which people are approaching work is changing. Freelancing is on the right up, people getting independent work, as is entrepreneurship. Barclays last year did a study for their Barclays business banking, and they said that in the first quarter, 90,000 new businesses were started in the UK alone. 90,000. That's a 3.5% increase on the year before. More and more people are starting um, their own business. Um, Barclays also said in this report that 7.3% of people... Adults want to start their own business in the next three years. 
I was like, that's a lot of people. That's nearly one in ten expect themselves to start their own business in the next three years as well. So my granddad, he worked for Lloyd's. Um, he, he started working for Lloyd's when he was in his 20s, quite junior. And for the rest of his working life, um, he, then, um, start, he then worked up the career ladder until he became a partner at Lloyd's, very senior. And then he retired at Lloyd's. And for my granddad's generation, and a little bit for my parents' generation, that was the expected rhythm of work. That in fact you might get yourself in a company, you might get yourself a trade, and you stick to that and apply to that for the rest of your life. And you work your way up and you, you stay part of the firm. Whereas actually today, the expectation to move around, to try new things, is so much there. I've been at Tier Fund, I'll mention it once more, uh, for three and a half years. Okay, I'm not going to put any caveat on how many times I mentioned it. It's my work. I'm talking about work. Um, so I, um, I've been there three and a half years, and already this week, I've, well, already this week, it's the end of the week, I've spoken to three people about moving on from Tier Fund um, later this year. Because it's part of me where I'm getting like, itchy feet, I want to progress, I want to move on. And that's not a problem to want to progress and move on. The problem comes when we find our identity and our purpose and our calling in the next promotion, in the next pay increase, in the next tick on the appraisal, in the next um, career move. That's when there's a problem, when we find our purpose and identity and what's next in our work. And so... I want to, I'm going to pull out three things. The three things that can shape us at work. I think they're the pressures, the pitfalls, and the peaks. We all have our alliteration of all of three. Because um, these are three things at work that can so easily shape us. Paul Valor, he um, used to work as the finance and HR director for Hewlett-Packard. And he now works for the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity. Whew, got that one out. Um, he says this about work. So basically, he's, he, was a big, he was a big director in a big firm. He's got some clout. He says, we all face the temptation to believe that what we can achieve is what will determine our identity. Whatever our role, the world increasingly says to us that our approval and value depend on our results. Might resonate with some of you. So, that, so for so many, the, their identity is wrapped up in what they do. Just as an example, if I was to meet someone, I'd say, oh, hi, my name's Edward. What's your name? Adam. Oh, Adam, whereabouts do you live? Uh, oh, great. And what do you do? Right, and what I've done, I've put Adam in a trap because we, so who does that when they meet someone for the first time? They go name, location, and what you do. It's almost a bit like blind date. Um, and then suddenly we've created for that person an image where I'm like, right, I understand you. I've got your name, your location, and what you do. Therefore, I understand your identity. I was challenged about this about a year ago when someone I heard talking about this, and they said, why don't you ask the question, what do you do through your week? And I was a bit, that sounds clunky. That sounds really weird, meeting someone for the first time. What do you do through your week? <laughs> it just sounds really bizarre. But then I started doing this, not every time, and actually it's really good. Because when I'm meeting someone for the first time, if I'm on welcome here um, you know, at church, and I say, what do you do through your week? There is normally a pause where someone says, oh, wasn't expecting to be asked that. Um, well, it's not just work, is it? It's this and that. I enjoy cycling. You know, it could be anything. I enjoy cooking, and I'm just saying what I like doing. Um, and in fact, that might be a really helpful thing for some people, that in fact, to break out of the cycle, just ask a different question and get to know people in a bit more of an interesting way. So, rapidly chasing on. I'm 26, I've got a good job, but it's so easy to compare yourself to others. I'm sure so many people do this. Now, you can either compare yourself to the people at the height. So Mark Zuckerberg, by the age of 26, billionaire, um, was named Person of the Year by Time magazine and named Jew of the Year. I'm not so bothered about the Jew of the year. I, that's not really where my trajectory is going. Um, 
but he achieved a lot. He was 26, and he achieved an awful lot. So you, can, you don't even have to compare yourself to the people at the very top. There's someone else at my work. She's my age, didn't go to university, decided to work, now in charge of a big team, lots of responsibility. For me, that's the kind of person comparing myself to that's that little bit more... <laughs> it can get under your skin a little bit more because they're there, and you're like, oh, you're doing really well. <laughs> you know... <laughs> Uh, and, and it just gets to you a little bit, this kind of slightly competitive, comparing yourself to others' um, attitude. Similar to what Rich was speaking about with social media, this kind of comparison to others is so easy to creep in. So easy when you're on social media. Oh, yeah, that person's going to a fancy restaurant. How much do they earn? Um, and it's so easy to do that with our work as well. So what about the pressures? So the pressures, the pitfalls, and the peaks of work. So work is hard, and I think stress is something that increasingly people are being made aware of. It's something um, coming out of work. Um, I found online some of the top reasons for stress at work. People can't control the expectations put on them. There's a lack of clear description or chain of command or bad management. A high degree of uncertainty about job security or career prospects. Cuts in government and local government funding leading to increased workloads. There's a long hours cultures. Um, No opportunity to use personal talents or abilities. Inadequate time to complete tasks to personal or company standards. And the last, the chance for small error or momentary lack of attention to have serious or even disastrous consequences. These are some of the things that at work that can be pressure points. And you might not resonate with them all, but I'm sure people might resonate with one of them. A a bad relationship at work, um, a really unsupportive manager. You know, some of these things might resonate with people. And how do we cope with this? Sometimes in a very hard-nosed environment, it's a suck it up, deal with it. That's life. You know, and it's just this pressure that's building up inside of you. Um, but in fact, this pressure has got to find a release somewhere. And often, I, I've found, once or tw- you know, more than once or twice, it's been in my dreams. So I'm, when I used to, before working at TFN, I was a waiter after leaving university. I was often working the evening shift and sometimes working the breakfast shift the next day. Being a waiter, you're on your feet a lot of the time and you're quite physically exhausted. Tip generously, people. Um, and, and so I remember getting home from work about 1 o'clock and I'd have to be up and at work for about 6.30 the next day. So you get about four or five hours sleep. I'm sure others resonate with that as well. But the problem is you're so tired that you have the worst night's sleep. And my dreams were like just littered with pressure. So I'd, I'd, I'd be wait, in my dream, imagining I was late for work. And so in my dream, going, oh, and then I'd wake up just exhausted. And I'm like, this is not what I want. I don't want to wake up exhausted and then go and get exhausted at work. And that was just a physical exhaustion. I know some people really struggle with, and this is more mental exhaustion, with their work, it creeps into their dreams. And often because of a bad manager, too much pressure, it can just give people really agitated Um, you know, dreams and nightmares as well because, in fact, there's so much pressure and it's trying to find a release somewhere. And, in fact, today I want to make sure we have time, which is why I'm going to speed up, to really pray for people as well. So, one quick thing on this. For me, I've got a very open work culture. I have to confess that and put that out there now. My work culture at Tear Fund, it's a Christian charity, is probably a little softer than other people's. I'm just going to say it because you're all thinking that who know me. Um, so some of you on the corporate ladder, you're thinking, yeah, but you don't know quite what it's like. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, I don't. For me, I can, when work gets too much, so a couple of weeks ago, I can quite easily talk to my boss and say, I just need to talk and get this all out there. So I run various projects, and I often say yes to too many things. Um, I did, said this in my last talk as well. Um, and so a few weeks ago, it just got too much. And uh, so I just said to my boss, can we sit down and just get everything down on paper? 
I'm an external processor. I need to do that. So suddenly I've got someone there helping me get it down onto paper. I can make sense of it. So you might need to do that. If stuff is just building too much of work, I was speaking to someone a couple of weeks ago, sometimes you need to have that hard conversation with your boss, boss and just say, these, realist, these expectations, they're too much. I can't. I'm new, I haven't learned the skills, or you haven't given me the skills. Sometimes just push to have the difficult conversation. I'm going to touch on this in a little bit, but, but Jesus quite simply says, don't worry, don't be anxious. He says in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God. In fact, he makes it almost a little bit too hard, a little bit too simple, where you're like, oh, but it's really easy to worry. It's really easy to be stressed. He says, no, seek first the kingdom of God. So the second then, the pitfalls. What about when it goes all wrong? What about when you've tried to look for every excuse other than you, and you can't find one? So you've got to put your hand up and say, okay, it was me. Uh, I was on holiday in Singapore a couple of years ago. Uh, my brother lives there. I was visiting him, quite new in my job. And uh, I was, had been around Singapore Zoo, Great zoo. If you ever get a chance to go, go. White tigers, everything. Amazing. I was feeling really relaxed, really at ease. I, got, I was about to get on the night safari. So as, as you can hear, it was idyllic. I was at rest. Suddenly I get a little text from my boss. Um, and my data roaming was off. I get a text from my boss saying, oh, Edward, did you book into that event? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did. Of course I did. Drop them an email. Don't worry. She's like, yeah, I've just been on the phone to them. They don't recall anything. And this is over text message as I'm on this night safari. And I'm like, no, definitely did. Here's my email password. Check it out. I'm, at, I'm watching leopards. Uh, <laughs> then it transpires over some more phone calls between them and text messages to me that I hadn't. I hadn't done my job well, and, uh, and I hadn't put them in. And all the while, all these kind of nocturnal animals were going past. And I was a bit like, I wanted to see the leopards and the elephants at night, but I couldn't because I was like, I haven't done my job very well. And I felt a bit rotten. Now, to be honest, I hadn't lost millions of pounds. I hadn't, it wasn't a huge corporate risk. But it meant that we couldn't go to an event and we couldn't get more funds. Which, for me, as a fundraiser, that's quite important. And, it can be, and those moments can feel really crummy, actually. When you get something wrong and there's nowhere else to look but yourself, you're like, ah, rubbish. And it's easy to, for these to really dictate your life as well. And another helpful quote, again from Paul Valor, um, the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity which is, this is from, they've got lots of resources. They've got lots of um, blogs and articles for people in work, equipping people for work. So if any of this is, these quotes or anything, check them out. They do courses, executive toolkits if you're senior, mentors, all sorts. Paul Valla says this, whenever we believe our self-worth is based on results, we cannot live in freedom because we cannot fail with acceptance. We fear the voice that is ready to say, you are the weakest link, goodbye. That is how we can become trapped on a treadmill of performance-based living. And so often these shortcomings can dictate um, our life and can have a shape on our identity. Moving on then, peaks. What about the moments when it goes really well? They're great, aren't they? The moments when, you know, when everything just goes right. Those moments when you close the deal or you make the stale. Uh, for teachers, um, the moment when you get an outstanding at Ofsted. Isn't it like, oh, you get a buzz. Um, or you deliver a project on time, under budget. You find a cure. You develop a new drug. You get a really big tip. Um, you end of the financial year for any accountants is upon us. And all the, ad, all the numbers add up. Um, or you deliver something on time. You feel great. You know, those moments when you're on the mountaintop, they feel really good, um, and you could achieve anything. Um, I'm not going to press too much into that because I'm running out of time, but they're just really good moments when um, that happens as well. And so then, that's so often, that's the kind of problem. We can so easily be shaped by these things. We can so easily try to find our value in our work. And many choose to believe the lie that their identity is found in what they do and how well they do it. 
that they believe the lie that says you're as good as your pay packet or your bonus if you get one at the end of the year. Um, and what happens is these lies can often creep into informing us about our relationship with God as well. When we try to approach God on this kind of performance-based relationship um, and not upon grace. And when we, when we choose to kind of think like that, um, we choose to not to live in the freedom that Christ has won for us um, on the cross. And instead we choose to live in that place we're trying to please God by our actions and performance. And we, we believe two lies. Firstly, we believe that Christ has not done enough. When we try to approach God in the same way of performance, we believe, we, we're saying to God, you've not done enough on the cross. We're saying that what I've done is so great, I need to just keep going on this treadmill on performance to, to win you over, to convince you that I'm enough. And secondly, we live with this anxiety of not being enough. So many people struggle with this sense of you know, possible redundancies around the corner. Are, they, are we going to make it? What's the appraisal going to say? This fear, this culture of fear at organizations, and this can creep into your relationship with God where you say, um, my uh, relationship with God is in doubt. Maybe, maybe he just doesn't, maybe it's going to all go. Maybe it's going to come to an end. So we must renounce the lie that says our self-worth is dependent on performance and affirm the truth that our significance and identity is secure and we're children of God. 1 John 3 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. In Ephesians it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are God's children, his workmanship created for God, good works. God has created us for good works. It was before the fall. And good isn't just those that, that are charitable. Um, good is also those that when, in fact, we choose to do our best, um, and when we choose to do our job really, really well. So Colossians, let's remind ourselves, it says, and don't just do the minimum that will get you by, do your best. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Your work should be worship to God. And our worship is not contained within um, songs on Sundays or praying out in quiet times. In fact, God wants to be um, Lord of our whole lives. The emails, the budgets, the road sweeping, the serving, the operating of machinery, the teaching, the website building. Whatever it is, God wants to be Lord of your whole life. So coming back to this stress thing. So for many people, the work can produce stress that can then inform your relationship with God. Matthew, it says this, Therefore do not be anxious about, um, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus makes it so simple in theory, but it can be quite hard in practice. He doesn't just tell us not to worry, um, because this just would leave us in a vacuum. So Pete was preaching on pornography a couple of weeks ago, and in fact the answer to that wasn't don't look at porn, it was don't look at porn and be filled with the love of God. Have a greater view of who God is. If we just try to remove something, this is going to create a gap, and we'd probably fill it with something else. In fact, we need to actively remove this sense of performance or identity and work, but replace that with a greater view of God. 
a great, a great uh, understanding of our identity as children, as his workmanship that were created for good works. So I just want to give some really practical ideas. I just want to give some really practical ideas to how this could be worked out with others as well. How can you just seek support? So the first thing is, I think, seek um, those who can counsel you through your work. Um, other churches, um, like St. Mary's and HTB, they have whole networks for people who are of a certain kind of sector in their work. So if you're, if you're in finance, there might be a finance breakfast you can go to. Now, we're not maybe of that size to have about 15 different breakfasts for different people in different working environments, but in fact, what we can do is pray together. And it might be that you need to speak to someone who's in the same sector as you, but they may be that little bit further. And so you can say, look, I'm really struggling. Um, I'm really struggling in this moment. Um, maybe it could be that you're going through some exams. So there's lots of chartered accountants here. It might be that, in fact, um, you know someone who's five years ahead of you down the line, and you can say to them, is it really supposed to be this hard? <laughs> and they can say, yeah, I was there a few years ago. And, and in fact, just keep pushing through because it's only for this time, and then you'll, you'll get to this point. So maybe you want to seek counsel. That could be from someone who's further down the same career path as you, if you know them. It could be that you just want to pray with someone in a few moments here. Um, and have a support network. I, um, our chairman at work, um, is a, I don't need to give his name, um, but he used to be the CEO of Shell in Canada, very senior businessman. And I was on a training course with him where he was talking about um, work relationships. And he was, um, he was in charge of the UK operations in 92 when there's a helicopter crash in the North Sea and a lot of their workers died. And for him, as in charge of the UK operations, this was the moment when it all went wrong. This was a moment when it just went, oof, his gut fell out from him, he had to get on the plane straight up to the, probably Aberdeen, where it was, and just start answering media inquiries and just dealing with everything. And he said the thing that gets him through moments like that in his career was having a support network, was having people who he can turn to, drop an email and say, can you just pray for me? Like, it's the end of year and things are really busy, or I'm about to hit this run of events for me and it's really busy. But the crucial thing is, in that story, is when a helicopter hits and a disaster strikes, you've got no time to gather people around you and say, oh yeah, build a support network and then go. You need that before it hits. So in fact, it doesn't have to be a really formal thing. That could just be having really good friends where you can talk to about your work struggles with. And you're not trying to bottle it up tight. You're not trying to let this pressure build. It might be simply that you want to talk to someone who's outside of your work circle. So you might have some really good work relationships. You might have some really good work relationships. When things get really tough, you can talk to that, someone else in your team and be quite honest and candid with them, with them about it. But, but sometimes you might need someone who's outside of that little culture, outside of that silo, outside of that world, who's just going to give you some good, hard advice or, or just support, or someone that you can just speak to. And it's like, whew, pressure valve gone. So try to find people in all sorts who can um, support you. Maybe you just need a reminder so for me, I work in a Christian organization. So some of these things are a little bit easier for me because it's like, should we pray? Yeah, let's pray. Uh, <laughs> other people, that's not going to be as easy. So for me, if I had a Bible verse on my desk, that wouldn't be a big deal. If I didn't, it would probably be a big deal. I don't. Uh, <laughs> but for some people, you might just want to put a Bible verse on your desk. You might just want to put um, a certain phrase or a picture or just something that reminds you that, in fact, your identity is not in what you're doing at that moment. It's much bigger than that as well. It might be that you want to set yourself a reminder before a really busy week that, in fact, your identity is as a child of God first, not 
as an accountant or whatever it might be. I'm using accountants a lot. I don't know why. Um, and for me, um, what, what about other believers? Praying with other people at work, I think, is really, really great. So it might not be that you work at a Christian organization, so maybe try to find people who are. If you know one or two, you might not be best of friends, and you don't have to be, but you can pray with them. Where two or more are gathered, I will be there. It doesn't say where two or more best friends are gathered, I'll be there. Just get some people who you know are believers and pray with them as well. And also, lastly, decisions. Sometimes you need to make that really hard decision to live a little bit differently. And there's someone I know works in a very big firm in the city. And uh, very, like I was saying earlier, very long hours cultures firm. Where it's not even if, if, even if you have to stay to do your work, you just stay just to show that you're committed. And, uh, and they were having a talk with their boss one day, or someone more senior, I don't know if it was actual boss, and they said, look, this is all well and good, but what you need to do is actually stay a bit later. I know you deliver all your work, but if you want to progress and if you want a promotion, you've just got to put in more hours, even if it's just to pe- please people. And their response was like, no, I've got a young family. Why would I just want to stay just to please people? No, I'm going to deliver my work, I'm going to manage my time well, and I'm going to get home into my family. And, uh, and they were basically told, well, okay, you're not going to progress here. Like there's, there's going to be a ceiling for you because you're obviously not willing to put in the hours, even though their work is being delivered. And they didn't let that sh- change. They were like, no, this is what I'm going to do. Anyway, they then went to another firm and a year later got poached back to their old firm in a more senior position. And the person was like, yeah, we did actually kind of really value you, um, even if you do leave when you're supposed to, having done all your work. <laughs> and it was, for me, just such an amazing example of just someone who's willing to live very much differently, but at the same time, like, do their work really well, deliver everything they're supposed to, but live with some other priorities there. Another friend um, at PwC in Derby, when he started there, he said, the best thing I can do as a witness is leave at 5.30, because some of my friends, they just don't know when to leave, and so all they do is stay at work. So my best witness and my working hard is leaving when I'm supposed to. <laughs> and maybe that needs a challenge for some of us today. So there's some really practical ways about how um, we, can, we can keep our view as children first. And I just want to remind ourselves, work is from God. He created, us with it in, he created us with it in mind. So let us work as worship to him and do our very best, not scraping by as well. And I just want to spend a few minutes praying. And just as we were, um, just as we were worshiping earlier, I just had this picture. Um, anyone remember the fire triangle? So in order to start a fire, you need three things. You need fuel... Um, <laughs> ignition and oxygen. Is that right? Good. Okay. Um, and I just had a picture of the fuel of the fire triangle. And, um, and I think what, God, what God's saying is, first of all, he wants to breathe his spirit on us. So the fuel is our lives. In fact, God has given us life, and God has given us skills, and God has given us ability. And that's like the wood. That's like the fire. Um, and in fact, the ignition is our salvation. That in fact, our salvation is one. Our salvation in Christ is one. Our identity as children is one. But what God wants to do is breathe that oxygen, that breath of life on us. As Ben was praying earlier, that, um, and, someone, and someone prayed out as well, that breath of life, that ruach, that wind of God, that in fact God uses in Genesis when it says he breathed life into man, and he used in Acts when it talks about the breath of God coming. God wants to breathe um, his spirit on us today in our work. So I want to just get really practical. Um, You might just want to turn and pray with someone. You might want to turn and pray with someone because you're having a really tough time at work. You might want to turn and pray with someone because, in fact, you you found your purpose and your identity in work. Um, 
Or it might be that, in fact, you just want a fresh vision for work as well. That, in fact, it's got a little bit tired. It's got a little bit ugh, stagnant. And you just really want to find that worship heart in it as well. So um, we're going to, um, if I can get the band, we're going to sing in a moment. But why don't we stand? Um, and I'll hand over to Pete in, in one second as well. And um, I think just I'm going to make this really easy for people. If you just want prayer, and we don't have to make this a big deal, if you just want prayer, can you just either come into the middle or, or just step into the side? There's not really any space on the sides anymore. So um, if you just want prayer about your work and about anything I've been talking about, just come into the middle. It's not a big deal. And others I just want to gather around you and pray for you.